0: This week on the Dylan and Dylan Show, the out of the box draft covers the best moments in the history of March Madness. Q&A covers the best player to start an NBA franchise with and what role we would change if we were in control of every sport. And this week in sports covers the depressing update on the MLB lockout, and the guys picked these college basketball games Duke versus North Carolina, UCLA versus USC, and Kansas versus Texas. To the Dylan and Dylan show presented by Tunnel Vision Sports this week. Hope you're having a fantastic Friday, March 4th, or a fantastic whatever day you're listening to this. Dylan Jesperson here, and as always, joined by my main ha- main man Dylan Holt. Dylan, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic.
1: It's game day, it's Friday, it's March 4th. The Murray State Racers are in the semifinals of the OVC tournament. They wrapped up that one seed last Thursday against Belmont and Murray with that huge win over Belmont. They're either gonna play tennessee state or uh southeast missouri state tonight uh we don't i don't know right now as we're recording on thursday but either one it's gonna be very exciting hopefully they'll make it to saturday night i'll be able to come to evansville watch the racers win one last ovc championship uh it's been a fun past week i i talked about on sunday i had to write an article about it because that might have been the most fun i've had watching college basketball in a non-march setting like ever It, it was the like Whatever the 27th twenty seventh or 26th of February, that's when it was on Saturday. It just everything went crazy. Seven of the top ten teams lost. I like. I started watching with the Purdue Michigan State game, and it was Oklahoma Oklahoma State on CBS. And I was like, these games are really good. I was like, I I usually I'll just have a game on. I'm like, whatever. But I was like paying attention. I was really getting into it. Both games went down to the wire. I was like, okay, let's keep watching some basketball. And it just kept going. All day, upsets, buzzer beaters. Storts were being – storms – storms. Courts were being stormed. It was just the best. I, I just had so much fun. It got me jazzed up for uh, March Madness. We're here. It's March. It's the 3rd of March while we sit here. You're listening on the 4th of March. So much stuff's happening. I think I've watched like, at least like four college basketball games every night for the past week, and it's just the best. I'm just so fired up. Uh, and beyond that, Murray State – like I said earlier, claiming uh, the regular season OVC title, which was awesome. Uh, and going on to other news around the world, the MLB is just screwed. Which sucks, and we're gonna get into that later. Which I that's depressed me. But then you go back up, John Morant's the best player in the world, and he showed that this past week. He's gone crazy last Thursday while I was in Murray watching Murray take down Belmont. Uh Jaw kind of struggled against Minnesota in the first game out of the All-Star Break. I don't know what Patrick Beverly said to John Morant and the Grizzlies, but oh my god, he created a monster. Jaw set the Grizzlies or broke the Grizzlies scoring record two games in a row and then As you're listening to this, I don't know what he did Thursday night against the Celtics, but boy, oh boy, I'm really excited to watch this. And I'm sure future Dylan that's listening right now, it's like, yeah, he went crazy. Uh, But yeah, lots and lots of fun stuff going on. I'm really, really excited for a good show.
0: How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, The last few weeks of my life have been pretty hectic, but uh, exciting, kind of hectic. I'm not going to get too far into that. Uh, But also, as many of you probably saw, I was in Ann Arbor on Tuesday covering the Michigan MSU game for Tunnel Vision Sports. You can check out both of my articles uh, for my time there in Ann Arbor on tvsportsmag.com. But as a Michigan fan, it was awesome to see a game like that in person. I've always been a Michigan football fan and always uh, we had season tickets growing up. So I've been to a ton of Michigan football games. Michigan basketball didn't become a big part of my life until John Beeline started doing work with Zach Novak and Stu Douglas and the boys. Uh, So this was really the first time I, this the first time ever I've been in attendance for a Michigan basketball win over MSU. Uh, It's the second time I've ever gone and the only other one, Cassius Winston, ripped our hearts out over and over and over again. But uh, it was an awesome experience to be there. Uh, it was uh, really, really, truly something special. Thank you again to Stephen Hayes and Tunnel Vision Sports for the opportunity and the University of Michigan and Tom Wiread for opening up a seat for us. It was a lot of fun to be a part of an event so big to the state of Michigan. Uh, As we get into the show, a quick reminder to follow the Tunnel Vision Sports Network wherever you get podcasts. That way you'll never miss an episode of us or any of the fine content from TV sports. And if you like what you hear, a reminder to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts if you were listening on there. That helps a ton. For this
1: week... I have a question. Yes. I have a question before out of the box. So you got to see your Michigan Wolverines the other night, and you got a great, like, uh... I don't know the word example, or I don't know what word I'm looking for. The progression this team's made, because they obviously looked really good when they haven't looked good all season. Do you think they're a tournament team right now?
0: The problem is is that they're just so inconsistent. We've seen them be that good uh, at times during the year. And then we've seen them be really, really bad at times during the year. Uh, It's really comes down to whether they play defense on a night, nightly basis, because they'll score points. Obviously they've got scores galore. It's really just how do they play defense? Uh, and against Michigan state, it looked really, really good. And it helps when, you know, you shoot like 90% to start the game and, uh, they're one-on-one trying to guard Hunter Dickinson all night, which really didn't make much sense to begin with. But anyways, it it was, it was really just, uh, it was an example of what they can be at their best for sure. And what I thought they were coming into the year was a top four team, a team that could beat anyone, uh, but we've also seen them be a non-ranked team, and that's why they're not ranked right now. So they, I think they're going to – hopefully they've got a game against Iowa tonight as we sit here. They've got another game against Ohio State, and then they'll have a Big Ten tournament game. If they win one of those three games, they should be a tournament team. And I think they could make a little bit of noise if they get the right matchup in the tournament. But I also could see them really struggling against a, a lesser opponent in the tournament. It's just the way that the season has gone – Uh, with the team that they've had. I mean, we're watching Phil Martelli beat Michigan State. Uh, It's not even Juwan Howard leading the way, so we're going to have to go back to Juwan Howard. It's been such a weird season for Michigan basketball. So, uh,
1: I think we're getting dangerously close to a Dylan and Dylan bowl. I I think a Michigan-Murray State matchup is so possible it scares me.
0: That would be insane. I don't even want to think about that right now, but we will get to that if uh, it does happen. For this week, as you can tell, we are in the college basketball mood with the ca- um, calendar flipping over to March with the conference tournament starting up uh, as we speak and very, very soon with the major conference tournaments. We figured it was time to draft our favorite March Madness moments of all time, similar to our favorite all-time moments, but sticking to the college basketball and our favorite moments for the best time of year for college basketball fans. That's tourney time. Dylan's got the coin. We're going to decide the order real quick. Tails never hey. fails. Going with the Devin, Book That's bat. George
1: Washington
0: is what it is. I got to stay true to my strategy there. Uh, what would you like?
1: Um, I'll take the first pick.
0: All right. The floor yeah. is yours.
1: Um, I'm going to go with one, uh, that's fairly recent past. Well, now it's six years. Whoa. That's six years ago. That's crazy. Uh, I'm going to the 2016 national championship. That doesn't feel like six years ago. Um, North Carolina versus uh, Villanova, and I'm just going with the moment is, like, the last, like, five seconds, because Marcus Page hit that insane shot that no one remembers, I feel like, and then, like, two seconds later, Archie uh, Arachno, I can't say his name, he has that crazy Italian name, I I can never pronounce it. it, you guys know the Villanova point guard that wasn't Colin Gillespie that played there forever, he's a bull now. Uh, he hit Chris Jenkins uh, running down the court and Chris Jenkins hit one of the most iconic buzzer beaters in March Madness history to secure a national championship for Villanova. The first national championship for Jay Wright uh, and just that core that had been there forever, uh, just getting it done against North Carolina, the, just the Goliath of college basketball in North Carolina that they are. Uh, and to do that right after North Carolina made that huge shot that really seemed like to take a lot of momentum. And something that people don't for, don't remember is that North Carolina was down like seven with like a minute left and they're able to rally and get to that point where they tied like five seconds. And Chris Jenkins said, no, nah, I'm going to go down in history. And he made that shot. And it's just an iconic March moment. And it's only six years ago. And it just, it sticks out in your head. It sticks out in my head anyway. It's just, just an iconic moment. And I had to go with it. Uh, what do you have? Or I'll give it to you for your first two picks.
0: Yeah. I'm going to have to dip into my alternates because that was my first pick. And I should have, <laughs> wish I could have won the coin toss for that one. I I'll, I have a couple things I want to say to that before. Cause it's a great pick. I feel you say that the Marcus Page shot is under, I think the Chris Jenkins shot like gets forgotten. I feel like it happened and everyone thought it was a great moment. And then we just kind of forgot about it. It's I think one of the greatest moments in college basketball history. I mean, like, no replay needed, confetti flying. I mean, buzzer beater to win a national championship. It, it, like, it doesn't get better than that. It's not going to get much better than that ever. So I think it's a great pick. I think the moment, and yeah, Marcus Page's job. It was a great game. I One of the most competitive college basketball national championships I've seen in my lifetime and ended the way those types of games should. So obviously a great pick. I'll have to dip into my alternates. Uh, I'll do that right away. Uh, I'm going with UMBC taking down Virginia, the first 16 seed uh, to take it down, uh, a one seed. Uh, It kind of... It almost gets overlooked in the way that UMC, UMBC ended up beating Virginia because it wasn't like a, a competitive game where the the underdogs had to come back and, and take it from them. It was a full-on beating. It was like Virginia didn't even belong in the tournament. They were the number one overall seed. This was supposed to be the biggest mismatch. Uh, and. When I look back, I mean, obviously, Virginia was able to get redemption in 2019. But when you look back, we'll always remember Virginia as that first number one seed to lose to a 16 seed. And I think that's going to live on for history uh, in the tournament time. And and it was a great moment. Uh, I'll always remember the the retrievers of UMBC taking down Virginia. Uh, So I'm happy to have that with my first pick with my next pick. Uh, this is the only one I have down that I wasn't alive for, but I got to go with NC State upsetting Phi Slamma Jamma in Houston in 1983 on Lorenzo Charles's buzzer beater dunk. Uh, it, if you look up the clip for this, it, it, you will understand how much basketball has changed since 1983. The, it's a tie game with uh, no shot clock, apparently, because it, it takes about like 50 seconds for the play to, to develop. And and Houston's running an aggressive half-court trap, like something that would just get shredded today. Uh, But, like, it's really working against NC State, but they're they're just holding, trying to get the last shot. And then it it ends up forcing a deep three that is airballed, but it looks like it's basically just a pass because Lorenzo Charles just grabs it, puts it in the basket, time expires, and then the more iconic moment you probably all know is Jim Valvano running around the court, just looking for someone to hug. Just like, I, I don't know who to hug. I just have to hug someone. And uh, I think one of my favorite parts of that, like when I went back and watched the clip just to make sure uh, it was, and it was an, an awesome clip, but it's I think it was the inspiration for every video games championship celebration because every player on NC state is just running around just aimlessly celebrating. They can't really figure out what to do. Well, Houston is literally, like, slamming the ground, like, doing, like, stereotypical, oh, no, we just lost the championship things. It's, like, I think every video game designer has looked at that and, like, all right, that's how my championship has to look, and it... it, it, it's it's almost too perfect. It looks scripted to the point where I, if you didn't tell me it actually happened, I'd think like, oh, sports are scripted and everything's rigged. But it happened. We know how, how amazing this game is, but that's what March Madness is. It, it makes you think that it's a it's almost like a Hollywood movie. But I'll throw it to you for your next two picks.
1: I like both those picks a lot. I didn't have the NC State one down because I when I created my list, I went with ones that I saw in person. That 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 was kind of my restrictions that I made for myself. Uh, UMBC I did have, so I'll have to dip in the law and that's okay because I got quite a few. Everyone knows when they when they heard this list that we were doing out-of-the-box March Madness moments, everyone knew that listens to this show, they knew I was going to go to some Murray State moment. It's just, it was going to happen. Uh, a lot of people probably think I'm going to go with what Ja did in 2019. Nah, I'm going back to, I believe it was 2009, Murray State versus Vanderbilt in the first round. Uh, I remember that game. I was in middle school. I remember watching it in middle school, like all like all afternoon. And Vanderbilt had control of the game most of the game. That was John Jenkins and Festus Azili. And th- that was just one heck of a team. Like, they took it to John Wall and DeMarcus Cousins in the SEC. Like, that was a really, really good team. And uh, I remember watching it through. And Murray State was just keeping it close throughout. And I remember Murray State cut it to about five points. Late in the second half, and I had to get on the bus to go home, and I was so mad. And I knew I was going to the elementary school to to be with my mom because she was a teacher. Right when I got into that school, they had the TV on, and Danero Thomas, a senior small forward, the plane the three from Earth State. He dribbled around, came around the screen, mid-range jumper, sunk it, and uh, Murray State completed the upset of Vanderbilt. I just – I had still – that feeling, just that feeling of euphoria, it just can't be replaced. Your team hitting a buzzer beater in March Madness, specifically a mid-major, like that you've just never felt that feeling before. It was just something else. I, it just – it can't be replaced. I, I was in love with Murray State basketball before that, but my – my love and just appreciation for just a great mid-major program like Murray State. It just rose to a new level that day. I replay it all the time in my head. I go and watch, I watched this morning when I was thinking about this list, I was like, I got to watch De Niro's buzzer buzzer beater. Uh, And it's it's set up moments and it's set up the way United state's program has been for the past decade which has been awesome uh, but yeah i had had to squeeze in denaro thomas's game winner against vandy uh for my third pick i'm gonna go to another national championship i'm gonna go i believe it was 2010 it might have been 2011 I'm, I'm not sure butler versus duke and the moment is a missed shot funny enough it's it's the missed half-court heave from gordon hayward i i think that year, it was just. I talked about David versus Goliath of Villanova, North Carolina. That's an exaggeration. Butler versus Duke was David versus Goliath. Butler should not have been, well, they should have been there. They were very good, but no one thought they would be there. They, that, they were kind of unknown at that point. That was their first run. And Gordon Hayward and Max Howard and the boys just went crazy all March. Brad Stevens, obviously, was the coach. And I'll never forget in the second round, Murray State played Butler. Isaiah Cannon was a friend. It was actually the De Niro Thomas year. We beat Vanderbilt and then played Butler in the second round. We were within a shot of beating Butler. Hypothetically, Murray State would have been in that national championship. Isaiah t- Cannon dribbled ball off his foot. Uh, Butler survived, obviously made it to the national championship. They duked it out Duke all game. That awesome Duke team with uh, Kyle Singler, uh, John Shire, Nolan Smith, all just great. There were, of course, a plum leader too on the team. Uh, that, that team was just awesome. And Butler stu- stuck it with them all game. And then they had a shot to win it after a missed free throw with like two seconds left, three seconds left. And Gordon Hayward just, clunked it off the rim I, I watched it this morning i was like oh my god what a sad sad thing like they it, they were just so close it, they showed all the just crying i mean just an iconic sad moment but it's something that i always think about i remember watching it it's just it, it's kind of like well you had all this hope in the underdog but darth vader wins sorry and duke got another national championship yeah that's just one that's always stuck out in my head and those two are from the same uh tournament so, yeah, I'll, I'll throw it to you for
0: your last two picks. I love both of those picks. I I, I tried to figure out how to fit the, the Gordon Hayward moment in there. I just feel, felt like a missed shot was just not supposed to make my top four. But I, I do think it's one that sticks out in my head when I think of March Madness. Obviously, I don't have the same connection to the Murray State shot, but I do have a connection of watching basketball or definitely March Madness like during school like that. That's one of the things like working in sports media, it's great. We're going to be covering, you know, college basketball for the most part for the rest of our lives. So we're not going to have to like sneak the way that we used to in school and in work. It's almost like, that's kind of the fun of it. That was almost like sort of the fun of it was like, Oh, you had that cool gym teacher that let you watch March madness during the day. Or once you got to high school, you you were on the computers trying to figure out how to, to watch March madness or watch it on your phone. So uh, I definitely relate to that. I love that story. And I love the, I love the picks uh, for my last two picks. I'm going with the just purely biased picks of Trey Burke shot against Kansas and Jordan pool shot against Houston. Uh, and I'll talk about both. Uh, I mean, the the Trey Burke team and that team was one of the first Michigan teams where I truly felt that Michigan basketball could be on the same level as Michigan football. And that's, to someone on the outside, isn't saying much, but Michigan basketball, when I was growing up, was the Lions of the NFL. They were really bad, and I didn't know that that was a lot to do with the Fab Five sanctions that they had, and really, their program was decimated because of it, but I didn't know that. I just knew Michigan basketball was a really bad program, and then John Beeline came around and built something that could could be something, and then all of a sudden, we had this three-star from Columbus, Ohio, that all of a sudden was a National Player of the Year candidate, Uh, And and we had Mitch McGarry, who was at one point the number two player in the country. We had Nick Stauskas. Karis Levert was on that team. That was a really, really good team. But Trey Burke uh, put uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. But Trey Burke put his team on his back uh, and drilled that unreal shot against Kansas, where uh, it was my first real dose of March as a fan, where it was like, I felt like I was about to lose. And then all of a sudden we're about to win. Like it was a full switch, even though we went to overtime, it just tied the game. Uh, it sent us to overtime. It was like, we're winning this game now. There's no way Kansas is coming back from that. And it made it extra special that it was Kansas because I'm not a huge Kansas fan. So that was awesome. Then a few years later, Jordan Poole does almost the exact same thing from, uh, from deep against Houston uh, and Again, just uh, if you haven't experienced that as a fan, the buzzer beater moment in March, I hope you do because it's one of those uplifting things that you'll never, because your season's about to end. You don't know, you're you're trying to figure out what you're going to do for the next season, how things uh, match up. And then all of a sudden your season gets extended on one play. And now all of a sudden you've got hope. And both of those shots ended up lifting us to final four bids and national championship bids ended up falling just short, but Oh, whenever I think of March Madness those shots stick out in my mind like glaring because they are the biggest memories in my mind uh from Michigan basketball so I had to get them both on my list Did Jordan Poole play with DJ Wilson? Uh yes the first the Okay one one year Jordan's fresh Okay Jordan's freshman year
1: because I went to the Round of 32 game between Michigan and Louisville. And I remember watching DJ Wilson. I was like, this guy's the next great power forward, like in the history of basketball. <laughs> and I was just so impressed with that Michigan team. I was like, this team's going to the final four. I was like sold on him." And I just, I like you bringing up old memories of Michigan basketball. I was like, I remember watching them and they were really good. You're not,
0: you're not the only one. Me and my friend went to the Michigan Madness, uh, the preseason thing uh, when DJ Wilson was a freshman and he didn't play much as a freshman, but we both were like, that kid is going to be really good. Like that kid is different from the rest of the players out there. And, and we saw it from the get go. I'm very surprised he didn't really pan out in the NBA. I think he's still on the Bucks roster. I don't know if he, got, I think he got traded or something. I don't know. He's somewhere kicking around the NBA or the G league, but I, you're, you're right. I'm surprised he didn't work out because he had all the tools to be a really, really good power forward.
1: Facts. I thought he was awesome. I was like, I want this guy on any team I support. I remember back then I, I was still a, a pseudo Phoenix Suns fan. And I was like, I want DJ Wilson in the Valley. I need him playing with Devin Booker, the pick and pop. It's going to be Steve Nash and Amari Stoudemire, but an upgrade. Like I just, I needed it. And it just unfortunately it didn't work out for DJ Wilson. Um but, hey, you never know. I'm sure DJ Wilson's still, like, 22 years old. I'm sure he's remarkably young. That's how the NBA works. It's like, oh, this guy's been in the league for five years. He's actually 17. It, I. That's the – always blows my mind. Uh, but I guess I should have my last pick. And I'm going to go to another one that, like, has a, I guess, a personal significance to me because I'll never forget I picked this underdog to win. And the way they won was a buzzer-beating fashion. It was my senior year of high school, 2015. Georgia State, R.J. Hunter, Ron Hunter, the, his dad, the head coach, facing 3 seed Baylor, uh, and they were down by, like, 10 at one point. And I was like, man, I'm an idiot. Baylor's a wagon. They're going to go to the national championship or something. And I picked Georgia State to beat them. And R.J. Hunter said, not so fast, my friend, and went crazy. And I watched, I watched it this morning, and the commentator, I don't know who it was, he was like, what are you doing, big fella? Push it inside. It's a two-point game. Get the easy bucket. And R.J. Hunter, if you watched R.J. Hunter in college, you knew he was taking a three, and not just any three, a deep three. And he went around the screen, put it up, and just drained it and led Georgia State to a huge upset. His In an iconic moment, his dad, the head coach, Ron Hunter, falling off the stool in celebration, and it just – just a perfect father-son moment, perfect March moment. And I just – I remember watching it in the football locker room. like just got done with workouts. I was like, oh, my God, I, I made the pick. I was like – I was the number one Georgia State Panthers fan in the world at that moment. Little did I know that I would come back to bite me in the butt about six years later when Georgia State played Tennessee in football. But I'm not going to get any further than that we're talking basketball. We're talking March Madness. We're having fun. And I had to go with R.J. Hunter's clutch three to beat Baylor in 2015.
0: I like that pick. I don't love that pick because I'm on the complete opposite side of that story. I throw it back to when Baylor lost to Harvard. I had Baylor like in the elite eight in my bracket. And I was like, okay, I'm never going to pick Baylor to do anything again. But that Baylor team that lost to Georgia state was very, very good. And I had that Baylor team winning the national championship in my bracket. And I was walking into my job. I worked at a Culver's at the time. And I was like, did Baylor really just lose to Georgia state? Like, are you serious? Like, that was the moment I was like, I will never get a good bracket. I've never, I ended up winning the bracket pool for TV sports this year. It was still, wasn't that great. It, it's just like, brackets are hard. And that was like, Oh, my, how are you supposed to, I, I, I'm happy that someone got it right. But I remember specifically being like, how am I supposed to pick Baylor or, or losing to Georgia state? I literally had them in the national championship. I, I, so I, I like the pick. I don't love it. So, it is a great moment.
1: I think I picked them because I've been on this mid-major like high horse for a long time, especially in 2015, though, because that was the year. I don't know if you remember. Murray State was undefeated for a, like, a huge chunk of the season. They lost to Belmont in the OVC Championship on a buzzer beater, and they did not get a bid. And I, everyone's like, this is ridiculous. I'm terrified that's going to happen in two nights. I, I like, I, it's the, My biggest fear at the moment is that Murray somehow loses the OVC championship. And after this remarkable season, we don't make the tournament because mid-majors don't get the respect they deserve. But in 2015, we didn't. And we had campaign who's turned out to be a very good NBA player, should have got his March Madness moment, just never did. And I was like, look at Georgia state. That's a really good team. They're going to make the tournament. We need teams like Murray state. Uh, And I was just on, I was high on Georgia state. I was like, RJ Hunter's a baller. I knew he was a projected pick kind of like campaign. And I I was just really high on him. And I was like, I'm picking every mid major I can. And I I just remember I was, I had Georgia state in like the sweet 16 or something. And I'm pretty sure they lost the next round. But yeah, that was just me being, I go, I'm going to Murray state. I, I love mid majors.
0: Yeah that's, a, yeah, that's a tough one for me to relive, but uh, happy with – like the pick, obviously. It's a great moment and definitely uh, signifies what we're looking for in March. Did you have any alternates that didn't make you list? Of course.
1: Um, I, I had Florida Gulf Coast becoming Dunk City USA with just like – there's not a specific moment. I guess that late alley-oop, but just them beating – two seed georgetown i didn't put it because like you i hated that one i had georgetown winning the national championship that year because i thought they were awesome and because i always think Georgetown's just a school that i'm like they're cool that's where patrick ewing went to school that's where Allen iverson went to school and i'm like they're good like i like this year i think they won three games and i watched them play yukon and i was like i mean it's georgetown they might win i don't know and it's just they're one of those schools and i just i was so mad and Florida Gulf Coast became really cool. And it's Florida that was huge for just that school because they've like made that their identity. And that's probably almost a decade ago. Uh and then obviously i I just put John Murray blowing out Marquette in twenty nineteen. And then I said, let's not talk about what happened in the next round. Uh but yeah, and I had UMBC, but uh and then I put Leitner, but then I put in quotations, I wasn't alive, so I Did you have any
0: alternate? Yeah, obviously I picked uh, the UMBC uh, as my alternate. Uh, Texas Western's title run, another one I wasn't alive for, but the the historic value of what that team did for basketball and sports in general, first team to win with five African-American starters and took down a a little less integrated Kentucky team at the time. Uh, One of the true great stories that puts, uh, puts sports in another league when it comes to storytelling and the impact it can have on people Uh, And then Loyola Chicago's runs. Uh, I couldn't pick one, but just in general, the Loyola Chicago experience was the pinnacle of March Madness. A team that just looks – I disagree (laughs) because they beat Tennessee. (laughs) I understand that. Uh, Michigan did end up beating them in the Final Four, so I think that's why I look at them a little bit better. But a team that looks unathletic but just dominates on defense and constantly makes Cinderella runs. And Sister Jean, I mean, if you're a mid-major program – you find yourself with a chance to make a, a decent run in the tournament. You better find yourself a mascot on the side like Sister Jean. Maybe you're the racers and you bring like a retired old jockey around or something. I don't know. All you need to, to be a Cinderella is to have something like Sister Jean. That's what made of Chicago special in my mind. Uh, and that's why they made those two runs that they did. Uh, and uh, I know Porter Mosier is off doing better things, but I fully expect Loyola Chicago to be back uh, in the front stage here pretty quickly. Uh,
1: all right. I'm very happy they're leaving the Missouri Valley because I would not want to put up
0: with him. Yeah, that's very true. That's very true. All right. We'll have those polls up for, on social media for you ASAP. It's time for the question and, ag- a- the question and answer segment. I'm going to throw it to Dylan first. Dylan, what's your question this week? <laughs> So,
1: uh, I talked about the beginning of the show. John Brandt's had one heck of a week. He, he, he's he gone crazy. Saturday, Last Saturday against Chicago, set the Grizzlies single-game scoring record with 46 points in a game, came back on Monday night against San Antonio, scored 52 points, put Jakob Purtle on a poster, and then made one of the most insane buzzer-beating shots I've ever seen. It was latener, but, like, I think it was better. I like I know people don't want to say that, but it was for sure better. Um, And it got a lot of people talking uh, is like they're saying, is Jaw the best building block in the NBA? Is Jaw the MVP? Like lots of talk about that. And obviously, I'm very biased. So I want to know if you were building an NBA team right now, who were you building around?
0: I, I'm really excited to see who you're going to pick, but I think this is a really good question, uh, especially because for the past 20 years or so, the only answer has been LeBron. Uh, and I think at least now this question is at least askable because we're starting to see the decline of LeBron's game now. He's still really good, and you could still answer LeBron, and I still probably wouldn't look twice at you, especially with the uh, the future that he holds. But like we all realize that his time in the league is limited right now, so like it would be an experiment more than like a long term play you'd be trying to win a championship really quickly I think the obvious answer is Giannis I think when you take into account talent level age but also the ability to grow I think there's no question that Giannis is the guy you want to start a franchise with for one you're getting a guy that can win now with not a lot we've talked about it Chris Middleton's an underrated guy but that doesn't mean there are better pieces that wouldn't work with Giannis Drew Holiday is good but I wouldn't even put him in the top 10 of point guards in the league right now Basically Giannis can win. He's shown you that he can win a championship with really what, whatever you really put next to him. He's that good. He's one of those guys that can win. There's only a few guys that, that can do that. Uh, secondly, I mean, he, I've said it a thousand times and I'll say it again. Once his jumper is consistent, he's going to be the greatest player ever. I, I think it's like no question. Like once he's got a really consistent jumper, uh, there, there's going to be no stopping him on the offensive side of the game. And this year, while it hasn't shown up in like the percentages, he's still shooting like 30%. Uh, he shot better from three and uh, he's looked a lot better from three. And in the past 10 games, he shot 41% from three. I don't know if he's ever had a 10 game stretch like that in his career. Uh, I'm sure some statistician will show me some 10, but that's, that's showing you the growth that he is making. And that's really scary for the rest of the league. If he's able to make that growth. Uh, that would just be the cherry on top because he's already unguardable without that. Uh, And then on top of everything, Giannis is the perfect type of star for a team like Milwaukee or Detroit or Memphis, because any team, any team that's not like a premier destination because he just loves being a, a basketball player. He's just like, So happy to be here and so happy to be in the NBA. Uh, And I think that's super relatable to most people. That's the kind of star you want to start with your team. So I think he just checks all the boxes in my mind of like, he's the best player. He's got room to grow and he would embrace any franchise that gave him a shot to be that guy. So I think he's the perfect type of star to start a franchise with right now uh, in the NBA, but I'm interested to see what you've got to say, because you said I was going to be surprised by your answer when we talked about this question.
1: So Giannis is who I had in mind as well. I, I think with a lot of what a lot of people have been talking about is Jar Luka, and I think they're getting carried away. People, I don't know if people are just overlooking this or what, but Giannis is 27 years old. That's like he's entering his prime. Like that, that, that's what we got to think about. Like he's going to add that jump shot, like you said. He's the best player in the world right now. Like I don't know how anyone can say, oh well, well. Lucas four years younger. So I want him. It's like, nah, Giannis. Giannis has got the whole bag right now. I, you got to take Giannis. Now, if you limit me to just Luca or Ja, I I think it's Luca. And it, it pains me to say that with them both being in the same division, but you look at it. I, I just think in today's league, a dominant forward like Luke, which Luca, I know they're like he was a guard. is a forward, he's he's a point forward. And what he's able to do, just looking at Luca and Ja's numbers beside each other, I understand they play different positions, whatever. But Luca, 20 27 and a half points per game, 9.1 rebounds per game, 8.8 assist point per, per game. Ja, 27.6 points per game, 6.6 assists point per, per game. I don't have his rebounds down per game, but it's like four. It's not that many. I mean, it's it's decent. It's not great. Um, Luca does so much for you, and Stephen A. Smith had a really good point about this. I, I heard him say. I saw it on Twitter. I think Luca could become the best player in the league if he starts to try on defense, and that is so true. Luca Luca saves a lot of his energy for offense, and it shows. And because Luca puts up insane numbers, him averaging 8.8 assists on that Mavericks team is amazing. Because when you look at that roster, it's not that good. The Grizzlies have a superior roster to them, and Jaws averaging six assists. One of Jaws' strengths coming out of Murray that made him this top three pick was his vision and his passing, and now. It, I mean, six assists is good. Like that's a very good number, but it's not where it was, where it was at even in college where he was averaging almost 10 assists or he was averaging, he was averaging double digit assists his soft, sophomore year at Murray state. And that's not a dig at KJ Williams or Tevin Brown because they're still awesome. They were awesome. When Joe was there, they're still awesome at Murray state, but I mean, he's on the Memphis Grizzlies. They're the Almost the, they could be the two seed in the West as you're listening right now, depending on what happens tonight, Thursday night. Um, and just – he's become this uh, enigma. I mean, he's incredible. He's become the most watched guy in the NBA. But most watched doesn't really matter. I mean, you can look at what Alan Iverson – Alan Iverson was awesome. He didn't win a championship. And when you're building a team, you want to win a championship. Luca seems like a guy that's going to win championships. And I think that's what's important. And, I I mean, I want Ja to win every ch- championship imaginable. But I, I don't know. I think Luca's game translates better if you're trying to build just around one guy. Now, Ja gets – a few stars in there to have fun because that team will be unstoppable. But I, I think, I think Luca is the guy you'd build around because he can do it all. Where Ja, Ja's going to be your point guard. Luca can play one through four, basically. I wouldn't put Luca at center, but I mean, if you want to, I'd, I'd like to see it. I think he could do it. But yeah, I think it's, you go with Luca, obviously Giannis is the answer though. But if you had to pick between Luca and Ja, I'd be Luca.
0: Yeah. I think, and while you were sitting there talking about that, I, I really feel like the conversation uh, around Luca and Ja is very similar to the conversation people were having around Kate Cunningham and Jalen green when the draft was going on. And I think you're seeing the, the, the fruits of that play out uh, as the season has gone on because Jalen green has had some of the most eye popping highlights and has looked the most like a pro. Some of the times with the things that he's done, he looks the most fit in the NBA but Cade is just so consistent, and he does so many good things at a high level that it's just so hard to pass up on a guy like that, and that's what Luca is. I mean, Ja, and both of them, it's not taking a dig at either one of them. I think Jalen Green is going to be an amazing pro, and I think Ja is going to be an amazing pro. I think they have great careers ahead of them. I just think if you're you're picking – you're splitting hairs between them, but I'm going to pick the guy that's really good at everything versus the guy that's like – explosive in one, one certain circumstance and a little less on on other things. So, yeah, I think uh, I I agree with you completely there. Uh, I'll go to my question and it's a bit out of the box. Can I say
1: one more thing about this? So I think people get caught up and do not get me wrong. I take Ja over Luca almost any day. If I'm just playing basketball, like I want Ja on my team, but building a team Luca, like I said, I think he creates a winner and I think it gets caught up a lot with, and I, we saw it, on Monday night, Jaw had a record-breaking night in views, not just the game. He put up 42.1 million Instagram views. That breaks the NBA's record for views on um a video. It was his video of the buzzer beating uh shot. And he drove in more than 385 million views on social media. Like Ja is someone that draws so much attention and I, I love it, but it, I feel like a guy like Luca might be getting forgotten somehow. And Luca is spectacular, and I don't know what it is, but it seems like the NBA is such a "What are you doing for me now?" league, which sucks because guys like Luca aren't getting shine like they should, and it makes people like. There's already Jaws getting hate already from Monday night, him getting so much attention, and it, it, that that kind of stuff gets toxic. But uh, I just I feel like people forget just how dominant Luca is and all he's done. In just his few years, I mean, he's 23 years old and he already has iconic playoff moments, which Jada's too. But uh, Luke was like one series. So I, I don't know. There's there's a lot of time for those two. but uh, I, I say all, all that to say. Giannis. No, I yeah.
0: completely agree with you. And I think a lot of it is the way that we consume sports media nowadays. I think a lot of it is we see the Twitter highlights. Ja is. Uh, Twitter highlight machine, uh, that game that he had the other night, that 52 point game, it, it seemed like he had like 10 highlights that were all some of the best plays we've seen. It, it's the same way. And I, again, relating it to Dalen Green, King Cunningham, you, if you just looked at Twitter for your NBA news, you'd probably be like, okay, oh, cade has been a bust. He really hasn't done much this year. He had 29 and five in his last game. He's been doing amazing stuff as a rookie. It's just that he's not that flashy. He's just really, really good. And that's kind of what Luca gets into. Luca can have his flashy moments, but he's just really, really good all the time. And that's what makes him really good. So uh you kind of kind of be a basketball more kind of sewer to know that. But I agree with you in that realm. Uh okay, so I had a bit of trouble formulating my question this week. So my question's a bit more out of the box. Uh, I couldn't think of a topical question. This is more of a hypothetical question I've always wanted to throw at someone. So here we are. Dylan, you are given the newly formed position of commissioner of all of sports. You have the power to do whatever you would like within any sport, change the rules, abolish rules, anything of that nature. If you started that position today, what is the first thing you would do?
1: I think one player on a professional baseball team should be allowed to use steroids. And I think, I I know that would be like not very like accepted by like the public. They'd be like, whoa, 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 whoa. We're just going to let a guy shoot up steroids. But I mean, think about it. The guys already do it. A thousand percent, they still do it. So why not just like come out in the open with it? Like the NCAA, guys were getting paid. So we're like, hey, NIL, let's do it. Let's have some fun with it. And uh, I I just think it would make no like we as a society, we've become a lot more open with things that used to be taboo, whereas like sports gambling has become just like that's just. Pop culture, like people accept it. Like ESPN does, like they have the lines. Like it's sports gambling used to be so taboo. It used to be like, oh, you're, you're gambling on sports, the mafia is going to visit you. Tony Soprano is going to be in your driveway to take out your knees if you don't pay up. And now it's just like, oh, yeah, go open your phone and go on DraftKings. Uh, so I think, uh, <laughs> if I was the commissioner and was allowed to do these things, I'd be like, yeah, let. Let Lars Neubauer use steroids. Let's see what happens. Let's have some fun. Because, uh, I mean, everyone talks about the steroid era of baseball and how great it was. Obviously, we don't get carried away. It'd be, like, legal amounts and stuff and, like, healthy. We, like, talk with doctors and make sure everything's okay. But, yeah, I think it would be. I've seen people float that around. I've always loved that idea.
0: Yeah, I think a big part of it is, like, the health aspect of it is, like, you can't legalize all steroids because a lot of those stuff is very unhealthy. It's very dangerous. And if every player had to have, that's a big part of it is if every player had to take steroids just to be in the MLB. Then we'd have a big problem. A lot of people would not make it out of that. But if you have, if you have doctors on board and you're it's, it's like the, the conversation around legalization of drugs, really it's, can you do it safely uh, rather than making it all black market? Because, Like you said, some people are going to do it, but it's it's not you're not going to stop everyone from doing steroids. So let's try to make it safe rather than putting it in the dark. I kind of like the idea. Uh, So my short lamer answer for me is I would end amateurism in college sports, formulate a salary cap, uh, allow players to be paid by the universities and negotiate their salaries. NIL was an awesome first step, but it also was a very shady way to fix the issue of paying players by just having companies do it and hope they won't take advantage of your quote unquote amateurs. So let's, let's get them paid the right way for fun though. uh, And this is less of a rule change, but more of an unwritten rule change, but I'm going to go to the sport of golf and I'm saying we're no longer going to be sticks in the mud because golf has all the potential to be one of the biggest sports in the world right now, because so many people my age are invested in golf because when you transition from being an athlete to being a former athlete, your body can't really play and pick up basketball is just not the same anymore. You can't really go out and do the same things, but you can go play golf as an old retired man. And that's what gives it its edge. And people our age also love, you know, sports betting, getting attached to sports media and all that ways. And golf is the least, I mean, we talk about it with baseball, but they are the least, innovative and willing to change and if they just flip that when you see it at the tournaments that they do do that it's the best thing and they dominate twitter for a day because everyone loves it and the golfers that do embrace the twitter world the instagram world the the social media world they have great followings because people want that type of content i think that that sport is just bursting at the seam with content if they just embraced it and just went full-on like no we're not going to be the old prim proper sport that we were we're going to be the the new fun sport that everyone's going to have to deal with and you're going to have to get out you're going to have to get out of the way uh, i it would be so much fun to watch that because we need more sports that can dominate the headlines like that it sucks that when football ends, we're kind of in this lull where it's just basketball, and we're kind of waiting for other things to happen. We need more sports to be able to dominate the headlines like that. And I think golf is just right there, waiting to do it. And if if the old people would just get out of the way and just let it be what it could be, it could be a great sport. It could be a really fun, entertaining time, and, and, and that's what that would be my first choice. I honestly think it would be because that would uh, it, it would be the easiest, simplest thing to be like. right this works this can this can happen and we can move on from here um but yeah i think embracing the good side of sports would be great for golf
1: yes i love that because i i like golf and anytime we've talked about golf on the show i always say i like golf i just don't know anything about it because i get bored watching it i they like them sitting there and they're like oh here, here's uh, tiger woods. He's going to uh, take the swing on, on the green here on the 18th hole. And they, they're just like, put me to sleep. Like it feels like an ASMR for me to like go to sleep. Like I turn on rain at night. I might as well put on golf commentators. It's just lullabies. And I, I I've seen people joke like, Oh, put on a uh, Spanish uh, soccer announcers on golf. And that's an easy way, easy fix to make it fun. And I, I think that goes along with, with, with what you're saying. Golf's a game that appeals to, to a lot of young males, like you said, our our demographic. And if they could do something that – and, like, talk to guys like Garrett May, who we talked uh, uh, to a few weeks ago. Be like, hey, Garrett, what do guys your age want to see? What do people your age want to see? And go off that – they've got plenty of guys they can talk to. Golf, I I agree, is a sport with, like, just waiting to just blow up. And it feels like they're content with being – the an old man sport like you said kind of like baseball where there's sticks in the mud you, you said that and i i'm glad you did because i i love saying baseball they're just sticks in the mud and that, that's what they are and that's that's exactly what golf is i um <laughs> i have to share some of these answers i got because i was in a fourth and fifth grade class today and i was struggling with this uh question and honestly i thought of the steroid answer while i was sitting here and i was like i, I want to say this um but i asked these fourth and fifth graders so i was like okay if you could change one rule in any sport, what would it be? And they gave me so many crazy answers. And I'm, I'm just going to read a few. I, I told Dylan before we started recording that there were a million, but I'm going to read a few. Uh, one of them that I liked, you're not allowed to wear shoes in soccer. I, I was like, okay. I was like, I, I, that, that's exciting. Like, that would be awful because it would hurt. But, yeah, okay. Um, softball. Fouls don't count as strikes. I, I kind of like that. I was like, okay, that'd be different. Uh, you'd be up to match forever, but okay. Uh, hockey, you can get style points. He was like, they don't score enough. And I was like, yeah, that's true. The, the goal's very small. I don't, I don't hate that either. Uh, uh, double dribbles, they're okay. I was like, oh, sure. All right. Um, no face mask. I, I, as soon as someone said no face mask, I was like, I don't think that's a good idea. I've been face masked. It didn't feel good um and then so they got more creative as we got further down they wanted more dro- jewelry they they mentioned odell beckham jr was wearing a rolex and they're like they told him not to they find him we want to we want to wear rolexes i was like yeah that, that's kind of cool and they're like we want earrings i was like okay all right and then they moved into basketball they're like don't make it where they can only wear the NBA official stuff. Like they're like, we want to see the Supreme headbands. I was like, okay, now you're like getting into stuff that could be real. And they were talking about how like Jr. Smith did all that stuff back in the day. And they just outlawed it. They talked about the Ninja headbands, how they were outlawed. they like, bring that stuff back. It makes it fun. And I was like, yeah, it does make it fun. So uh, I think they had a lot of really good ideas. And I had a lot of fun talking to them about it after we got done with the test, which was a lot of fun. Um, Oh, the last one, which I almost looked over. In football, you should be able to punch if you get mad because they said, because football's similar to hockey. And I was like, I'll take your word.
0: Yeah, I love all of those. That's great. That's great stuff. Uh, the one thing I did want to point out, and I just thought about it when you said it, the, the foul ball rule uh, was a thing in baseball way back in the day. Uh, it used to not be a strike when you'd foul the ball off. And that them changing that rule was part of, there was a lot of reasons for the dead ball era, but that was part of the reason because people used to – that used to be part of their game was like they would be really good at fouling the ball off because it just didn't count against them. They were like, so we could just – they could just foul off balls all day until they really got one they liked, and that's how a lot of people were really good hitters back in the day. So uh, it it would improve offense, I guess, but the games might be a couple of the more hours long.
1: Could you imagine no foul balls? It doesn't count as a strike. And a pitcher has like a 100 pitch first inning, and it's like the manager's like, "We got to take him out." He he, they fouled him off 97 times. What are we gonna do? We're we're so we're in so much trouble. They just keep fouling him off. Shane Bieber gets to pitch a third of an inning. What is going on?
0: That was back in the day too, when like starters were big tough guys about pitching the entire game too. So it's like. How did that, ha- I, I feel like every person had to tear their, tear every ligament in their elbow. They just didn't know because it, they just didn't have the technology to figure it out. They're just hurling balls up there. I don't know. So, yeah, I mean, I guess that would bring offense back to the sports. Speaking of the MLB, uh, as we move on to this week in sports, uh, the MLB has made headlines again for the wrong reasons, uh. A move we've been questioning whether it'd be happening has finally happened. The MLB has canceled opening day, meaning the lockout has officially cost us regular season baseball. We've touched on this a bunch. I feel like this move really made it feel real to me. Uh, But Dylan, I want to get your reaction. What was your reaction to the MLB's move canceling games and the state of baseball as we sit right now?
1: I'm so demoralized when it comes to the baseball. And this feels like such a juxtaposition to where we were talking about basketball and how college basketball, like everything's so exciting with basketball right now. Between the NBA and college basketball, there's so much good happening. And then you get to baseball and it's like, man, this really sucks. Like it's, it's really getting real with the lockout. Like uh, when I wrote down my notes, I, I get to my first point and I was like, this just isn't cool. I was like, I'm not a fan of this. I like Rob Manfred and the owners are just ruining the game. And I know there's two sides to every story. I don't care. They're ruining the game. I am firmly on the side of the players. And I I think they're just, these, these owners and Rob Manfred are just doing nothing good for baseball. And it just, it almost makes me sick to my stomach because it's, the MLB is a league that I've loved for my entire life. I've followed the St. Louis Cardinals in the league since literally I can't remember any, I can't remember not following it. And they're, they're just putting it in jeopardy of becoming an afterthought in American sports because younger kids, like today I was asking kids about the MLB and they just didn't know anything. Like I asked them, I was like, what do you think about the Cardinals? Like, oh, the team from Louisville? And I was like, no, the St. Louis Cardinals, the team with the second most world series right behind the New York Yankees. And they just like literally didn't know anything. Like I live in Cardinal country and they're just like, I don't know. It's like we have Nolan Arenado, one of the best third basemen ever. Adam Wainwright and Yachty is like one of the best, like, duos ever. And they're getting ready for their – they were getting ready for their last season together. Who knows now? And it's just like, what is going on? Like, these, these the younger generation just doesn't know about baseball. And I don't think that's, like, an isolated situation. I think that's a thing that can be seen throughout the country, which is scary. And it shouldn't be like that. Baseball – is something that as as Americans, I feel like you fall in love with at a young age. Going to the ballpark, going with a mitt, and that's being taken away, and it got taken away by COVID, which sucks. COVID did that for a little while, and now it's it's Rob Manfred and the owners being just stingy billionaires, and that sucks. I just am not a fan of it at all. It's I've just echoed it since I feel like last May that the MLB has so much momentum with so many young stars, and it's just. The only baseball it feels like we're gonna see this year is on MLB the show twenty-two. And that sucks. Like I love that game, but I also, you know, love baseball. I like being able to play a game of Diamond Dynasty and then be like, oh, what are the Mariners doing? What what's up with the the boys in Toronto? I wanna see what the the big four in Toronto are doing. The 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 preschool that they might as well be with all the players' sons playing in Toronto. I just it's just so demoralizing with series being canceled. Spring training is, like, that's not going to happen. Like, it, it's March 4th. Like, it's just, it sucks. I just, I hate it. It it feels like, like, soccer's already got momentum to pass baseball, but it feels like other things are going to pass it too. Crap, golf might. Golf, golf's got a huge opportunity. They could dig in uh, and appeal to younger younger kids, and they could pass – baseball really quick. It's just, I hate it. I, I love baseball so much and it's, it's, and my love got rekindled in the past year. So it kind of hurts even worse. And I don't know. I just, I don't know. I'm not a fan of it. I hope things turn around real quick, but I'm afraid they won't. Uh, What are your reactions so far?
0: Yeah, I agree with everything you're saying. We are officially a a player's pod uh, officially on the player's side. I think Jeff Passan has covered this lockout better than anyone. And that his quote sums up exactly where I stand on this. The quote goes, if you went and got the next 1,200 best players in the world, the product would suffer greatly. But if you handed the MLB teams over to any 30 competent business people, the sport would not suffer. Actually, it might improve. And that's the point. That is really all you need to know about the situation to be on the side of the players. In every sport, the players are the money makers. They are producing the product. They're dedicating their lives and their physical and mental well-beings to making sure they are the best athletes in the world. So for a bunch of billionaires... We hold all of the cards to try to spin the media on the players and say that it's, players are wrong it is BS. We all know how broken MLB has been for so long. We know that the minor league players have been treated terribly for years. It's been an ongoing problem that's been written about time and time again. We know that organizations mess with players' service time in order to not pay them the money that they deserve. The sport is broken. And if it's not fixed, that's not on the players. We know it's on the owners. It's on them. Uh, that we are missing baseball. And if we miss more, that'll be on them too. Uh, like we've said, and like, uh, like you said, a thousand times, uh, we are coming on the heels of one of the best baseball se- seasons in recent memory for me. I, I, I felt like there was real momentum going into this offseason, even with the CBA lurking. Uh, we just It felt like there was so much going that they couldn't not get the, get a deal done because it would be so disastrous like it is right now. Uh, I did not think the owners would be this short-sighted and screw it up, it, it, but it just shows how embar- how broken the sport is. And I was listening to guys on John Boy Media today, and, and they summed it up pretty good too. It's embarrassing for someone who likes baseball, for someone who loves baseball. That's my sport growing up. Like that was my sport. That was what I did. Uh, and to see how dysfunctional the professional league is, it's embarrassing. It's it's hard to stand up for something like that when every time it seems like we have momentum, they just trip on their own feet and, and fall on their face. So let's hope it gets resolved sooner rather than later. I don't want to miss any more games. Uh, uh, selfishly, the Tigers spring training was going to be a really fun spring training with Torkelson and Riley Grant, And now we're missing that. We could at least get the regular season going so we don't miss that on top of it. What did you
1: think of when Manfred has press conference on Monday or Tuesday, whenever it was, that he was smiling during it? Like, he looked giddy about it. That drove me
0: crazy. I felt like he felt that they could just just play the media the way that they wanted to. They know they hold the cards uh, in the negotiating table. They get to cancel the games. So as soon as they get to do that, they know they can pin that on the players it's like oh they didn't come to an agreement now we have to cancel the games and with the way that the world is nowadays it's so it's it's going to backfire on them it's like with twitter the way it is we're going to analyze every second of it and everyone's going to be on the side of the players rather than the owners it's it it, it showed i think that in a nutshell even if he wasn't intending to do it or not showed how short-sighted the owners and Rob Manfred and then will be are versus what the players are it's like you can't even not crack a smile in what should be the worst press conference of your life. You're the, you're the commissioner of the MLB and you are canceling games because you couldn't come to an agreement with your players. You should be devastated, but you're smiling. Like that's, it shows how, how short sighted and how broken it is.
1: I could not agree more. It's, it's, you made a good point. How, like you, we both said we're on the player side and they, they don't want the lead to be a player driven lead, which, which is just insane. You we've talked a lot about the NBA. You look at the NBA, that is such a player driven league and what they become and how much momentum they have, the impact they have on social media. And the MLB's like, we want no part of it. Someone, I can't remember who it was. I saw it on Twitter. They made a point of on Instagram, Mike Trout has 1.4 million followers. That is the best player in the MLB. Tyler, Hero. A guy that comes off the Miami Heat's bench has like three point seven million, and that alone should the MLB should look at that and be like, that's not right. Something's wrong here. And I, I saw that and I was like, well, maybe it's because Trout's like not the biggest personality. Like Tyler Hero, he's got quite a bit of personality. There's a Jack Harlow song about him. Like Jack, Tyler Hero, he's a pretty big name. I was like, I was trying to think of somebody, and I, I looked at Fernando Tatis. He only has 1.3. I'm like, that guy's cool as hell. I figured he had way more than that. And no. So the, there's a problem there. Instagram is a platform that you should see guys like Tatis and Trout having tens of millions of followers, not just over one. And I, I think the MLB leaning into being a player-driven league would help that. But obviously, they don't want that, which is just puzzling. I, I don't get it, and I it drives me crazy.
0: Yeah, this has to be a turning point. Like the at some point, these owners have to to see like what they're doing is just throwing their throwing their product down the drain. It just doesn't have that's essentially what they're doing. And uh, like passing said, I think you could get thirty people that would run these franchises more competently. We've seen, uh, and I mean, some of these owners are on the other side of it, but we've seen like the, the the newer owners have all done better jobs. Like the ones that have bought into they all are the ones that want to innovate their, their franchises and want to do things different ways. And they are the ones that win games.
1: I mean, look at the franchises that like we've been talking about the Padres. That's not like a historically great franchise. I don't know if they have new ownership, but I mean, I'm just thinking of, I have no idea what the ownership status is of a lot of teams, like the blue Jays, that's a newer team. They're a team that's exciting. The Marlins, even I know their ownership's always weird. They're an exciting team. I mean, so you make that point. It makes you think like, yeah, it, that's yeah, it's exactly what's happening. Where like the Cardinals, the they have the had the same ownership forever. They're good, but they're boring. The Yankees, they spend all this money, they're still kind of boring, they're bland. So that that's a really good point.
0: Yeah, uh it, it's it's frustrating to watch baseball just like I feel like strangled by the older people that just won't get out of the way. Uh just won't won't let the sport develop because you just see, like the NFL, the NBA, the the sports that embrace the way that they goes forward, uh, do a lot better. And yeah, the baseball is so on the wrong side of it, and we just can't. Uh, figure it out but let's move on to better stuff we're going to move on to the picks for this week a big slate of college basketball games then we have three to pick from for this weekend uh classic duke versus north carolina rivalry matchup and likely coach k's final go at the tar heels a uh, ranked matchup out west between usc and ucla and wrapping it up with a critical big 12 matchup between kansas and texas first duke plays nc city uh, duke plays north carolina likely for the last time with Coach K at the helm. It's top five versus unranked, but I feel like North Carolina is a bit underrated. I know the ACC isn't what it used to be, but they're 16-5. and They've beaten basically everyone in the ACC but Duke. I do think they have a shot, but what do you think, Don?
1: So I, I mentioned at the beginning of the show how crazy last weekend was and how seven of the top 10 lost. Well, one of the top 10 that didn't lose was Duke, and they won in dominant fashion at the Courier Dome. Not an easy place to win. I, Duke has just been a machine all year. Uh, Paulo Banchero and Coach K, that duo in that final season in Durham, just it's perfect. Uh, somehow Duke's gone under the radar because the ACC is kind of trash, which that's not their fault. But, I mean, it kind of works out for Coach K in his final season that he's just kind of got to run through that conference for one final time. Um, I, I like. I agree, North Carolina, I think they're underrated. I think the 96 Chicago Bulls could play in Durham on Saturday and Duke would win. There's no shot. Coach K is losing his last game at uh, Cameron indoor stadium, especially with it being against North Carolina. This game might be a blowout. I I think with all the energy in the, in the uh, arena. I mean, these tickets have been on sale forever. I remember when Coach K announced he was going on his retirement tour. They're like, oh, yeah, the, the nosebleeds are like two thousand dollars that that place is going to be jam packed. There's not going to be standing room available. I, I think Duke's going to win. I I don't see a world where Duke loses that game, uh, but you might think differently. Who do you have in that one?
0: No, I agree. I do think North Carolina has a chance. They might make it more competitive than the last time they played because Duke blew them out by like 20 last time they played. But I do think Duke is going to be too much in Coach Case' final Duke-North Carolina game being at home. And the way, like you said, you, you covered it all. Duke has played a sp- fantastic in the last two games. Uh, I think Duke is the easy p- pick, but don't sleep on North Carolina to keep it close. Uh, we'll move on to the game out west. Number 16 USC and number 17 UCLA are ranked right next to each other and have identical records in Pac-12 play. So this game will be huge, not just for the rivalry, but seating in the Pac-12 conference tournament. Dylan, who do you like?
1: I have no idea. Um, I think these teams are very similar. UCLA. I, I fell in love with UCLA last March because they had that amazing run with Johnny Jusang uh, and obviously Mick Cronin being a former Murray State racer. Uh, But USC is my West coast team. I, I made that evident in football season. I'm riding with the Trojans. I have no like reason. I, with them going to UCLA playing on the road, but I'm just, I'm just going to ride with USC. I, I, I can see either of these teams winning UCLA should probably have the edge because they're at home, but, uh, USC, they kind of got embarrassed last night against Arizona and they're going to want to bounce back. So I think maybe that, uh, Fires them up. Uh, Evan Mobley's little brother, I believe his name's Isaiah, or it might be older brother. I don't know. Evan Mobley's brother has been playing great for USC, and I think I think he'll have to have a big game in order to knock off the Bruins. Uh, who do you have in that one? Uh,
0: I like UCLA in this one. USC did win the last game, but that was at home. Since then, US, USC has not been great. Uh, they That was mid-February. Since then, they squeaked by Washington State, uh, took two overtimes to beat a bad Oregon State team and barely beat Oregon before getting crushed by Arizona earlier this week. And then since that game, UCLA has been pretty dang good, Uh, beating up on all of those teams that USD has struggled with. Uh, And then UCLA's at home. I I, I think it was just too much. I think UCLA wins this one and wins it pretty easily. I think UCLA wins this one big. Uh, Finally, if Kansas wants a chance to win the Big 12, They're not going to – they have to beat TCU tonight, but they're going to have to also beat a ranked Texas squad led by Chris Beard on Saturday. Dylan, who do you like in that one?
1: I'll go with Kansas. It's it's at Allen Fieldhouse. Uh, I don't think they're going to lose at Allen Fieldhouse. Texas is a team that is very good, but I think their strengths, I think Kansas can kind of exploit them. I think Texas is a very good defensive ball club, and they kind of get you in a street fight, which I love in college basketball. And Chris Beard's done that since he was a tech, but I feel like Kansas, they can be so high powered that that defense might not matter. And Kansas will just score more. And that's what they've done in a lot of games. And I think they very well could do that on Saturday at Allen Fieldhouse. Uh, Who do you have in that one?
0: Uh, I really just want to see this happen because I really like when the bullies of each conference get denied the conference title and Kansas basketball has been the bullies of big 12 basketball for years uh so i'm picking texas baylor was able to end their streak of winning big 12 championships last year so they could do that again this year if texas was able to upset them chris beard's texas tex team was the last team to share a big 12 title with kansas in 2018 and 2019 so i think all it's all the right mix it's the perfect little march mix it's like all bubbling in the cauldron throw it all together it, it makes for a texas upset And Baylor gets a second straight big 12 title, uh, with, when they beat Iowa state on the same day. Uh, all right. That'll do it from us from the Dylan and Dylan show. Dylan, any final thoughts before we go?
1: Yeah. Um, a really cool story in the world of college basketball. We keep coming back to college basketball. Uh, Tennessee point guard, sixth man, freshman, Zakai Ziegler. Uh, he's been a spark plug for Tennessee all year. I don't talk about Tennessee all that much because I, when it comes to college basketball, and we've talked about it a ton, Murray State's my team. I went there. They play at a high level. I, that's why I pay attention to. I've obviously, I, I was raised a Tennessee fan. I always keep an eye on Tennessee. I never miss a game. Uh, but I'm just much more passionate about Murray State basketball. Um, Zakai Ziegler has been a spark plug for Tennessee all year. He's a guy that's just embraced Knoxville, the fans have fell in love with, and they've just fallen in love with him, his game, everything about him. And uh, unfortunately, over the weekend, his family uh, suffered a really, like, just terrible situation. His apartment in New York, his family's apartment caught on fire, and they lost basically everything. It just a terrible situation. Uh, but seeing how the Tennessee basketball program and the uh, fans rallied around him is one of the coolest things I've ever seen. Uh, they started a GoFundMe, I believe it was on Wednesday morning, or it was Wednesday afternoon. And within like an hour, they had raised one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. And I checked right before we started, and it was up to like three hundred and fifty thousand dollars to help Zakai Ziegler's family. Uh, I, I think the move right now might be for them to come to Knoxville to spend time with Zakai and just kind of embrace the Tennessee culture. Because Zakai is definitely a guy that I would love to see him go to the NBA. He's a five foot nine point guard. He's gonna be in Knoxville for a little while, which is a okay. He's gonna be an awesome college player, um, and I think I think his family might move to Knoxville, but yeah, I, it's just been amazing to see, it's a heartwarming story with a lot of things in the world going wrong we talked about the MLB, there's obviously a lot of things in the world happening that are just not great right now but seeing that, the fan base the Tennessee fan base, as well as just college basketball fans, just embracing Zakai Ziegler and being there for his family and it's a good story coming out of NIL last year this couldn't have happened, and because of NIL uh, Tennessee fans have been able to raise money, it's just so, so cool and it's just been, it's heartwarming and I just, I absolutely love it um, I'll put the GoFundMe uh, below the link for the show. You you probably saw it if you're listening to this. Uh, but yeah, uh, I I I'm not gonna tell you to donate, but if you feel like you, you, you if you got the money, th- throw a little bit at Zakai and help his family out. They they lost everything, and Zakai is a great guy. Uh, I don't know, it's just it's just awesome. Uh, but yeah, awesome show. Uh, excited for a fun weekend of college basketball. And uh, I'm hopefully going to be in the Evansville for the OVC championship, my last one, uh, which is kind of weird and kind of bizarre, but I'm very, very excited for it. Uh, yeah, awesome show. Uh, D Holt out,
0: awesome stuff. That story, like I said, with the Texas Western stuff is like what sports is all about. How it just I, I dare you to find another medium like this that allows it to touch people in the way that it does, and uh. Uh, awesome stuff awesome story and awesome show uh all right that'll do it from us from the dylan and dylan show here's where you can find us you can find the dylan and dylan show on twitter and instagram at dylan dylan show you can find tv sports on instagram at television sports underscore at tiktok twitter at underscore tv sports and on facebook and linkedin at television sports and on the web at tvsportsmag.com thanks for tuning in everyone we'll see you all next time see you later